Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Welcome back, everyone, as we unpack the playbook of another amazing tech whisperer. You know, I shouldn't be surprised, but I find it fascinating how the best digital and technology leaders have a history of what I call answering the call. Today's Tech Whispers guest is doing so by boldly reimagining how digital services will serve millions of customers and thousands of colleagues in new and differentiating ways. She has answered the call as well by building a dream team of talented leaders that are allowing her to take on significant PL opportunities. And I know she'll talk about them because she always gives them all the credit. And we may be breaking a little news today as we unpack the story of the always impressive and inspiring Angela Yoakum, who has recently taken on new roles at Novant Health. In addition to serving as Executive Vice President and Chief Transformation and Digital Officer, her new titles now include COO and General Manager of Novant Health Enterprises. So Angela Yoakum, congratulations on this big news, exciting news, and really appreciate you joining us on the show and opening up your playbook today. Thank you so much, Dan. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, and I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today. Well, we've done this before. Always a, a gift for me to be able to share the stage in any, any format. And when Brian Watson and I wrote the book, Confessions of a Successful CIO, Angela, you know, one of the themes was truly answer the call. I mean, the best leaders, it's prevalent in every story. And your career journey is packed with these. And I want to start with what is likely your biggest call that you've answered to date. And that's all around Novant Health Enterprises. So tell us about this new venture and what your role is in that. Thanks, Dan. First, I should probably describe the core role I have at Novant Health because it's a bit unconventional. And then I'll talk about the new venture and how that fits in. As the Chief Transformation and Digital Officer, I'm responsible for all digital health operations, including 24 by 7 clinical services, a device company, all IT-related functions, our data science, our business growth function that explores new revenue streams for healthcare, our innovation labs, and I'm probably missing some things. (laughs) And as you mentioned, Most recently, I became the general manager and COO for a spinoff that contains many of our ancillary ambulatory services with locations in over a dozen states, our differentiating provider solutions, and some of our more unconventional investment activities. And we're calling this company Novant Health Enterprises. So at NHE or Novant Health Enterprises, we expect to see continued expansion into the non-acute or non-hospital settings and I anticipate many more partnerships with other members of the healthcare ecosystem. And I look forward to talking more about this over time because we do think it's going to be uh, game-changing for the healthcare industry. Yeah, I love how you shape this, this, as you say, very untraditional role. I love how you're being tapped for these new P&L opportunities. And, and 
you know, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts too. So you're, you're already thinking about opportunities to partner, build that ecosystem, even to commercialize some of these capabilities. So what, is, what does that look like to you, Angela? Yes, we are planning to offer differentiating products and services to other healthcare organizations. We also plan to act as an incubator for new business offerings and as a vehicle for investments and acquisitions that fall outside of the traditional healthcare ecosystem. We want to bring resources to our physicians and our partner physicians, focusing on delivery of care through business solutions that create value for the health systems, including non-acute assets and investments as well in, in healthcare innovations that may be in an acute setting. And so when I say acute, um, for those people who are not part of the healthcare world, that means hospital-based services. Well, and just for the record, just to remind people, you're not from this industry either. I mean, you have a multi-industry background, which we'll, uh, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. But when you were talking about some of the different roles or accountabilities, you kind of went by it kind of quickly. But I want to double click on the Novant Health Innovation Lab. You're leading the charge on that. Very exciting. I mean, did you not have enough going on, Angela? I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but tell us about that and, you know, why we as, uh, as patients, you know, will be excited to hear about that. Now, you know, I don't have challenges because I have a superstar team over here, Dan. <laughs> you do, indeed. Uh, and certainly our executive director of the Innovation Labs, one of our hotshot VPs, established a number of unconventional partnerships and worked with a variety of funders to make this happen. She made it look easy. But of course, it took the support of so many people to bring this to fruition. The labs are going to serve a number of purposes. So our first location is next to a makerspace for ease of prototyping. And it's going to facilitate engagement opportunities with our clinicians and team members, who many of whom are individual inventors, as well as community members who want to pressure test an idea or co-create something with us to benefit the health and wellness of our patients. The lab is also going to showcase the latest products we're using in both clinical and non-clinical capacities and will act as an extension of our community outreach program. So for example, if you were to walk through it today, you'll see an AR VR pod where you can try several of the headsets that we have deployed across many types of facilities that we use for training purposes and uh, pain management. And um, in the pediatrics hospital, we, you know, we use it to, to show children what an MRI experience will look like before they, before they have to go through it. And so you'll get to see a lot of that work in the lab. You'll see a 3D printer where we can print a replica of your actual heart. We'll see um, the, the hospital room of the future. So you can imagine a space that will engage the community so they can touch and feel some of these cool innovations. So we'll have labs in all the regions we serve eventually. And we're even planning a mobile lab that can circulate between some of our more rural communities so that these sorts of accelerating services where we, we help ideas come to life will be available to the team members and community members in our harder to reach rural areas as well. Yeah, I love how you've changed the narrative here. You know, this is where our industry has come from and where we're going. And, you know, I've got a, a podcast coming up with three three former CIOs who are now on public boards, you know, so it's from the boiler room to the boardroom. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the work we've done, the research we've done around the maturity curve, right? And how does IT show up? How does digital show up? And 
you know, that comfort zone of the order taker, right? We've got to get, we've got to bust through that. We've got to become that trusted advisor at the table influencing. And then the, the stage that's aspirational for many that you're operating at is this whole notion of innovative anticipator. You know, you're, you're there, you, you've built this organization, you've tuned this organization to, to do that, to envision it, to execute on. I want to point that out to our guests because it's, it's really inspiring for us to hear these stories, Angela. And, uh, you know, you and I have a lot of fun talking about that research and, and how you're building that mindset and culture and, and muscle there. Um, yes, and of course, we've been very pleased that you and your organization have engaged, have leaned in to some of the work we're trying to do. And Dan, you know, whenever we, we see, in, in my experience, when we've seen organizations across a variety of industries that are experiencing disruption, looking at the old problems with new eyes and uh, addressing, addressing the, the preparations for many possible futures, in, in ways that maybe haven't been tried before, but make a whole lot of sense. You're, you're typically somewhere in the mix. <laughs> you know, you, you can be seen, you can be seen um, adjacent to a lot of that work happening. And I don't think that's coincidental. So um, that those kind words certainly mean a lot coming from you. So I appreciate your, your comments. Yeah, thank you. I've got the best job in the world, Angela. I, I tell you, I'm very <laughs> fortunate. You know, it's, it's interesting. One of the ways we unpack the stories of the best leaders, because you're so darn humble and it's hard to pull stuff out of you all. But, you know, we have this uh, couple of things we do. One is the, the isms, the expressions, the angelism. There's so many that you have when you're communicating, leading, teaching. Um, one that I think people might find surprising, which I find fascinating, is I hate the big reveal. <laughs> so, so being this big innovator, but why, why do you hate the big reveal? <laughs> well, whoever told you that is spot on. Okay, so in the solutions world, it's long been understood that iterative design and development produces a better quality product, right? So why on earth would a senior leader try to solve a particularly gnarly problem in a big bang fashion? Why would they not build in checkpoints throughout the process in which they pressure test assumptions about the context in which they're operating or assumptions about the constraints that may or may not be artificial in nature or even about the problem itself. If they check in periodically with me or with whomever chartered the activity, then they'll be much more likely to emerge with a solution that is exactly what had been desired and eliminate the risk of having misunderstood the ask or you know, having been given erroneous information to start or, or worse, having solved the wrong problem. <laughs> but no. you know, so, so I, you know, I, I do expect that. I, I'd like to see the sausage made a little bit, but I think it's important to balance that expectation because having this expectation requires a culture of trust where questions are okay, uncertainty mm -hmm. is okay. Nobody is punished for asking for clarification <laughs> or for consultation. It's important that we have a collective philosophy in which nobody is expected to be perfect, but everybody is expected to learn, to grow, to help lift those around them for the greater good. You know, if we haven't built that sort of supportive culture in which it's acceptable to pressure test ideas with colleagues, then we cannot expect anyone to bring something forward unless it's absolutely fully baked. So those, that expectation of mine that comes with a responsibility to create a culture um, that encourages that degree of openness. 
you focused a lot on culture and and in the people side of the equation and you know your team you're able to bring these amazing people together and it's i always appreciate how together you focus on the mission you focus on the customer the, the in your case the patient you you actually fix people there's not a lot of politic going on there in your team and, and, and your folks really appreciate it. And that's how you're able to build this dream team. But in your journey, I mean, when, you know, when did you learn the importance of building that kind of culture? You know, I've had the good fortune of being a member of many high performing teams in my past throughout my career. And I've had an opportunity to see some extraordinary leaders in action. And one of the things that I've noticed, and by the way, this, this observation precedes my experience in, in the professional world and goes back into my, you know, my, my undergraduate days as a musician. What I've noticed is that people who are absolutely on top of their game, people who are the best of the best, the best in the world in some cases at what they do, are the lifelong learners. These are people who are constantly seeking to understand. If they hear a perspective that doesn't jive with their own, rather than attacking that perspective and say, well, I don't understand how you can think that. It's more, tell me, you know, tell me more about that. Help me understand your perspective. Maybe there's something I'm missing. You know, maybe, maybe I'm about to learn something. And I've seen these, these brilliant, amazing, accomplished people lean into the conversation with great curiosity and intensity, striving to understand something that maybe they didn't fully understand, you know, and more often than not, no, they understood, <laughs> but they weren't afraid to ask the question. And it's that, you know, they, they modeled a behavior that I've attempted to adopt. And that is one in which I want to be part of the conversation. I certainly don't want to hold up progress. And I certainly don't want to act like a bottleneck. I, there, it's not reasonable to expect that I will be part of 99% of the, the solutioning that happens <laughs> around me. But for, for those things that are, that, are, that are just extraordinarily high priority, uh, critical functions that to your point, directly benefit the health and wellness of our patients and communities, those are the things where I also want to make sure that we're not missing anything, that I haven't missed anything, and that we're making all the right optimization decisions along the way. So I model the be I, I, I try to model the behavior that was modeled for me early before my career even began, and then subsequently over the intervening decades. You know, Angela, when it comes to growth, you know, you're all about growing your people, you're all about investing in your people. And you know, many C-suite leaders pay lip service to this, but you're very intentional. It's not a check the box kind of thing. So what are some of the best practices that you employ when it comes to developing talent and building a high-performing culture? Everything about the way we structure our teams and our processes should be designed not only to benefit the company and facilitate our desired outcomes, but also to make our team members better versions of themselves. So this is really about creating a culture of learning, a culture that prioritizes personal team member growth as an organizational value. Benefits and pay are important, but magic happens when we're providing the growth opportunities and flexibility that each team member needs for themselves and their families at any given point in time. 
And, and there will be times when the best place for a team member to be for either the next big job opportunity or for family reasons or otherwise, um, it'll be somewhere else. And that's okay, because I want them to look back on their time with us fondly and credit our teams with having been an important part of their growth journey. Mm. Now, a key part of our secret sauce is our learning research and culture team. So they've developed a feeling of community and opportunity inside of our broader organization of about 1,200 people. Every week, there are multiple engagement opportunities. Some are fun and lighthearted. Others are critical and rather deep. And they keep an open channel of daily communication with all team members so that everyone feels plugged in and able to contribute. And my senior staff, uh, many of whom you know, Dan, are transparent about their own adherence to this cultural value of learning and growth. So most of them are heavily engaged in service work and philanthropy. They serve on boards that give them an opportunity to exercise their muscles in different environments. As we've discussed, they teach, they speak, they learn from leaders in other domain spaces and in both formal and informal environments. And they encourage their direct reports to do the same and to take time off, by the way, and importantly, take time off themselves. <laughs> but this cultural norm is how we help team members be more satisfied and productive while they're with us. And facilitating that sort of personal growth for our people means that when they pursue opportunities elsewhere, their success reflects well on our organization and it provides a reputational lift that brings in more talent in the future. Yeah, that certainly is, uh, gives a lot of background for why you built this great talent brand in, in the industry and uh, talent magnet brand, if you will. Angela, one of, the, one of the other techniques I like to use on the show to learn about our guest is through our, our mystery questioner, like our audience questioner, somebody who knows you well and will ask a question that will help us tease out your story. So let's listen in as she uh, shares her question with you and then let us know who this is and, uh, and then answer the question. So let's, uh, let's listen in. What is one major decision you made throughout your career? that at the time, it didn't really seem significant, but you look back now and it really was. And is there anything you would change around your decision-making process? Oh, that is wonderful. So first, that is my dear friend, the brilliant Teresa Payton, CEO of Fortalise, cybersecurity guru, board member, TV show host, best-selling author, um, most recently of Manipulated, which if you haven't read it, you should. And I'm just thrilled that she took the time out to, answer, to ask me uh, that question. So I think the decision that built everything that's strong about me professionally is also the part of my background that some people don't understand as being positive. And that is my early decision to go wherever the transformative work could be found. Mm. And this is probably due in part to when I started my career, which is as a highly sought after technical architect during the dot-com boom. I don't, I don't know how many of your listeners remember those days, but people were jumping jobs seemingly every year. But it, it allowed me to open my mind to, to many possibilities. And I've, I've had an opportunity to build solutions and teams and businesses in a variety of industries in some of the largest companies in the world, always at a time when that company or industry has found itself in the midst of some sort of significant change. They were either seeking change or they're, 
change was forced upon them by some external force. And it's this trial by fire that I've experienced time and time again, always shoulder to shoulder with strong executives, big thinkers, bold CEOs, solving problems that no one had solved before, finding ways to win hearts and minds, managing change through adversity. And with my colleagues, setting that company up for success in an ever-changing world. But the price I have to pay to become this sort of athletic growth-oriented executive is one of perception. So there are communities of people who believe that if you haven't stayed five to 10 years at a company, you might not have a lot to offer. Now, luckily for me, they're in the minority. <laughs> and so the work I've been able to do as a result is, is something I treasure. And it certainly is what helped me build the juice that supercharges everything that I've, I've had the pleasure of doing. Yeah. Fantastic question, Teresa. And I, you know, I appreciate those, uh, those muscles you refer to kind of honing those muscles and the, the courage it takes to, to make those tough decisions, you know, the criticality of those decisions that you that you have to make and then having consistency, right? So your people have clarity and don't get confused and, you know, one of the big decisions that are taking place today for companies uh, is around this whole notion of the omni-channel. How do we serve our, our customers? How do we provide different channels? Uh, Shamim Mohammed from CarMax was on the show last year. He talked about how he does that for CarMax to make that car buying experience so easy and frictionless. Is that, is that something that's even possible in healthcare, Angela? Well, okay, this is a great Great question. So let's talk about omnichannel broadly first. So let's start with other industries and then let's talk about omnichannel in healthcare. Perfect. Okay. So when we talk about omnichannel, we typically mean two things maintaining transactional integrity between channels of engagement and maintaining a highly personalized, consistent experience across those channels. So this might mean being able to start a transaction in one channel and finish it in another. That's the transactional integrity part, like ordering online and picking it up in a store or ordering an item from a showroom floor and having an item delivered to your home or you know, starting a banking transaction online, continuing it over the phone and maybe finishing it in a branch or at an ATM. You know, transactional integrity between channels was historically difficult in these other industries because of the disjointed nature of the core systems that drove commerce and transactions on a per channel basis. So banking, you would have a, you would have a core banking system, but the point of sale system that exists inside of branches, uh, very, very different from the online banking channel. And in fact, often owned by different business leaders, often incented differently, um, staffed differently, um, the organizational disjointedness would also reflect the underlying architecture. So for this reason, omni-channel in these other industries, because by the way, retail, same thing, very different leaders leading e-com versus leading the in-store sales. And I think that's changing now, but for many, many years in these other industries, having an omni-channel approach usually meant a significant integration activity was required. So massive lift. Now in healthcare, it's interesting because we typically think of healthcare as you implied in your question um, as being sort of re resistant to change and therefore behind the times. And, and, and that is in many, many cases, a valid assumption. 
But what's interesting about healthcare is the back-end transactional system for clinical visits in most healthcare companies is already centralized. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, whether you're seeing your physician in their office or seeing a specialist over the phone for a consult or getting an MRI in an imaging center, information about that encounter will be stored and accessible by every member of your care team immediately including all of the bots I have crawling all over your clinical data <laughs> um, to look for trends and predict major health events before they happen. That, that back-end integration problem just doesn't typically exist in healthcare, except you know, during times immediately following a merger of health systems, for example. Now, where we in, as a healthcare industry drop the ball is on the other part of omnichannel. So that's making the patient and consumer engagement experience highly personalized and keeping the experience consistent across channels. Because whereas we as an industry have become expert at saving every last detail of your clinical situation, we are not good about saving every last detail of the engagements you've had with us, the customer service engagements. When you start a, a virtual visit from your home, and that virtual visit you know, may include some of the advanced sensor capability that we make available to our patients. So we can take your vitals from home and we listen to your lungs and we hear something say that is somewhat alarming. We might say, you know, I think you should, should go around the corner and just have somebody check you out. Now, what you would do today is you'd say, okay, thanks. I'm gonna go to my nearest you know, Novant Health Clinic. And you'd, you'd hang up, you'd say, thank you very much. And then you would make the appointment, probably using your online tool. And, you know, it, you'd go around the corner and then you'd see that person and you'd say, hi, you know, my name is Angela Yoakum. I was just on a virtual visit and the provider, I was using one of the Tido care devices and the provider heard something strange in the way I was breathing and they asked me to come in and see you. And so you're starting afresh, right? The opportunity is for us to, while still on the video visit, to have that person say, you know what? I need you to see someone. There's a clinic around the corner from you. I see they have availability in 15 minutes. Are you able to get there? No, let me send a car for you. Then you send, you know, then we partner with Lyft. So then Lyft come and pick you up, take you to the clinic. Then you walk in the clinic. Oh, Ms. Yoakum, I knew you were coming. We were alerted that you were coming. You have a cough. Uh, we, we understand we need to take a look at your lungs. Why don't you come on back? We have a room ready for you over here. You know, so there's a continuity of experience that whereas transactional integrity has always been there, the experiential continuity is what's missing in healthcare. And the good news is that's just an operational lift. So, mm -hmm. so I think that there's tremendous future um, in this, and I don't think it's in the far, the far future. I think it's in the near future. I mean, that's, that's, that's very encouraging on many levels. And you know, and one of the ways that you that you get there is you've got to build the team. You've got to build the muscle in your team to be able to facilitate that. And I know when we talk about growth in the C-suite, the focus goes to revenue and all those important th data. But you also think about growth in terms of people. You're very intentional about it. You walk the talk. There's only one executive right now who has 34 of her people in our leadership program and it's it's you you know because you're you're intentional i mean you you put investment behind your people and and you care and so you know one of the things that we do in the show is we are donating one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in scholarships to the tech lx leadership program nine month cohort-based program 
And the fun thing we get to do on the show is we is we give you the ability to gift a seat in that program to a nonprofit, an organization. You've got many that you work with and you support. But does anybody come to mind, Angela, who you think could leverage that uh, that gift? Yes, Dan, that's a great program. Thank you for the opportunity to gift a place in TechLX. I'd like to give this to the technical director at Freedom School Partners, which is based here in Charlotte. Freedom School runs summer enrichment programs for thousands of young scholars from lower income households here in the Charlotte region. And without access to summer programs like this one, most kids lose, I believe it's two to three months of reading comprehension each summer mm. and are so far behind by third grade that they just never catch up. And the Freedom School focus focuses for these young scholars on reading, strength of community, character strengths, and our scholars go on to be leaders in our community who come back and volunteer in the programs years later. So given the importance of digital engagement to these young people, it's a great time for the Freedom School to engage in Tech LX. Thank you for I that. Love that. I love that. We will get uh, them up on the website and really help to uh, shine the light on their good work. And Angela, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, which I'm really disappointed about, but I, I do want to encourage people a week from now, go to the CI Whispers blog on CI.com. You and I are going to continue the conversation. I'm going to write an article that'll focus on the rebranding initiative that you did, where you changed from IT to digital products and services. It's a great story. It's a great journey. Um, talking more about how you've changed the narrative about technology and digital, and also the three criteria that you use to evaluate new roles and new opportunities. And so I think that'll be very, very rich. Another another path for us to uh, to go down. But Angela, thanks so much for taking time. You've got so much going on right now. I knew it would be hard to uh, to get this on your calendar, but you made it a priority and, and our, our audience is a beneficiary for that. So thank you again. Thank you, Dan. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talked about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhispers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.